0: The ancient Greeks, uh, Plato and Forward, had what they called a four cardinal virtues. Uh, cardinal because the Greek term cardo meant a hinge. And it, the thought was that these virtues were the hinges upon which all of life fell or moved. So prudence, justice, temperance, and courage. And by the way, if you look them up, they're sometimes called something different. So we might say a prudence, wisdom or discernment justice would be right or righteousness temperance self-control and courage the early church embraced those four virtues they added three more can you guess what they were faith hope and love so if you hear about the seven virtues that those are the four greek added to the three that the new testament era brought in as well <clears throat> Both the Greeks, and many in the Christian church, the generation that followed, said that their view was that courage was the most important of the virtues. And if you say that off the top, it doesn't necessarily make sense, but their point was this. If you believe in the virtues, but you lack courage, what you'll probably find is you don't walk in the other virtues. So think about it like this. Um, If I have a particular temptation, uh, let's say that I'm fearful of other people. And so out of that fear, I don't say things to that person I should say. So just thinking today for Christians, the responsibility to share the gospel with others around us. If I fear men, if I don't have courage adequate to face that fear, I don't share the gospel. This gets brought up in almost innumerable ways. I don't have courage adequate to act rightly. So just just in a few things, just sort of get the, the gray cells moving in this direction. Guys, it takes courage to stand up to someone that doesn't like you and tell them the truth sometimes. And you know what you might find? Sometimes it takes more courage to tell a friend the truth than it does your enemy. And we have this sense of we fear alienation, we fear that... Someone's going to misunderstand this. There's all kinds of ways this comes up. You know, the early church, <coughs> excuse me, fears were along the line of loss of property and persecution and perhaps loss of freedom and loss of life. But everybody has these fears. It's part of our old nature. And thankfully, if you're a believer in Christ, if you've trusted Christ to save you from your sins, The Holy Spirit has come in, you you have a new birth, and the life of Christ is now part of your makeup, right? And the whole deal, we've said this multiple times, God's work in your life and mine as individual believers, as His children, is to conform us to the image of His Son. Guys, there's been no one on the earth more courageous than Jesus of Nazareth. Not remotely close. And not just in coming to the earth, but as a person... Nobody is faced with full knowledge like he did what would happen to him when he hung on a cross. Many people face crucifixion, and sometimes we we focus on the physical suffering Jesus had in the crucifixion. That was not singular to Jesus. Lots of people were crucified all the time. Bad people were crucified. That's not what is unique about Jesus' crucifixion. He became our sin on the cross, he became the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He was cut off from the fellowship of the Father. Guys, we have no way to even enter in. What did that look like? What did that feel like? So, you know, when you're reading the accounts in the Gospels about Jesus suffering there in the Garden of Gethsemane, He is fully aware of what's coming. He knows He's going to become sin for you and me. He knows He's going to be cut off from the Father. Those those impassioned cries on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mere mortals couldn't have gone through that. There's nobody more courageous that's ever walked the earth than Jesus. And His life is in you and me. His courage by His life within us, by the Holy Spirit, is in us. And we need courage. And guys, if you don't need it today, you will in the future. So this may be one of those messages where you say, that doesn't really apply to me today, that's fine, but file it, because you'll need it. It's important, and God goes to great lengths in the message we're in this morning to bring this up. So the four virtues, and this is in the series, this is the 21st message in the series, Heroes and Villains. Remember, heroes display Christ-like faithfulness, villains display faithlessness towards their maker. And this morning we're looking at the life of Joshua, the one God used to replace Moses. So Moses took them to the border of the land of promise, Joshua's role is to take them into the land of promise. We'll see that faithfulness on Joshua's part in leading Israel, in fact, this is uh, stupendously clear in the text, was absolutely dependent on him remaining courageous. And this comes up in his life in a way you and I would never have expected. So the main point this morning, by the way, I hope you have a study sheet. If you and I would emulate Joshua's faithfulness in overcoming our own version of giants, and walled cities, these would be our temptations to fear or to faithlessness, whatever those might be. We need that same courage you'll see exemplified in his life. And like everything else, your ability and mine to lay hold of the courage we need today and tomorrow to be faithful is dependent on faith. It's dependent on taking God at his word, the promise of God to be with us and to speak adequately into our life through the truths of his word. That's what it depends on. Courage is not an independent quality. It's dependent on something else. We'll bring that up here in just a little bit. Before we do, too, I just want to take today as a key because today, in today's message, we straddle Deuteronomy and Joshua. We will leave the Pentateuch today. So we're leaving the first five books of the Bible and the heroes and the villains that we've seen thus far, and we're starting into the historic books. So those dates you can see on the overhead, 4,000 B.C., those are... Those are guesstimates. Good conservative Christians may disagree on some of these dates. These are just ballpark. But we started with Abel the worshiper, uh, Noah and his faithfulness. We've seen the, the villains. I'll let you guys look over those. But we've, we've stepped through key corridors of time up to the flood. God cuts off life, starts over with Noah, up to around 2100 BC in the life of Abraham. You get to 1876 BC, is hopefully a better, a firmer number. Uh, when Jacob and his family descend, go down into Egypt. And at the tail end of that period, Pharaoh is the villain listed there. 1446 B.C. is the conservative early date for the Exodus. And we've already looked at the lives of Moses and Phineas, heroes, Korah, Balaam, and the Exodus generation, Jews, all villains. So Joshua links us now from the past to the future into the historic books, And we'll see in Joshua and Judges, they'll take us up to the last of the Judges, Samuel the prophet. He'll introduce the first of the kings, King Saul around 1050 B.C. So that's where we've been and we're moving forward today in the books of history. Now guys, if you said in uh, your life, you look through the Bible and you look at the characters of the Bible and you say, this character needs to be told to be courageous, you would not pick this guy. You would not pick Joshua. And that makes the point all the more clear to me that you and I need to hear this message today as well. So Joshua is introduced in Exodus 17. So after the Exodus, the Jews are out of the land, they've crossed the Red Sea, they're in the wilderness, and they get attacked by the Amalekites coming down from the north and the south. They attack Israel. And remember, this is a group that might be a couple million people, women and children, and there's no army of Israel at this point, Right these guys were slaves they were brickmakers and they're being attacked and when they've got to round up an army and go face an enemy an army attacking them this would be like sort of the farmers and the the guys the blue-collar workers of our day Moses calls Joshua the guy that marshals the troops that rounds up the men that constrains the army that goes and fights Amalek and defeats them you remember the story it's interesting because Moses is on the hill holding up his hands in his staff that's Joshua that's our man he's the general of the army of Israel that's how we're introduced to him this is no uh fading lily lilting lily or flower this guy he's a hardened guy he's a guy he's a can-do guy so you're introduced to him there and then Joshua's life is connected at the hip with Moses as ever after so when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, Joshua goes up with him. When Moses hangs out, the references to all this, by the way, are on your study sheet. When Moses hangs out at the tabernacle, Joshua is there with him too. Joshua's with Moses in everything that goes on for that 40 years. Moses is right-hand man there all the time. He sees everything that's going on. Joshua is one of the 12 spies that goes up into the land of promise for 40 days. Remember these were picked guys, one from each tribe, Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim. And they're going to go up and they're going to spy out the land. They're going to see what's good, what's bad, what the threats are. And they do and they come back. And you remember the spies report, this is in Numbers, all 10 guys have seen the same thing. Oh, excuse me, all 12 guys. 10 of the guys bring back a negative report. And it's only two guys that say... The walled cities are not a problem. The giants are not a problem. The armies of these nations are not a problem. In fact, you've got to love the language. This is Numbers 14.9. Joshua and Caleb respond, don't fear the people of the land. They're like bread for us. We'll just eat them for breakfast. They'll be our Wheaties. This is not a problem. He says, their protection's removed. The Lord's with us. Don't be afraid. In other words, the the text that we're going to look at next, to talk about courage because this is the refrain God gives to this guy about courage for faithfulness. Uh, This guy, he's courageous already. He's the commander of the army. He's led the armies of Israel against every intruding army that they faced. He's been with Moses. He's heard God on Sinai. He's seen God in thunder and lightning. He's been there when Sinai shook with God's presence. And this is the guy that God tells over and over and over again, don't fear, be strong and courageous. If he needed to hear that, do you think there's a chance that mere mortals like us might need to hear that as well? Perhaps people of lesser metal than Joshua. He needed to hear it, I'm sure we do too. So Joshua 1.9, how many as a kid or perhaps now have memorized Joshua 1.9? It's one of the key memory verses, right? If you know a verse about Joshua, it's probably Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Don't be frightened, don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So if you've heard this command from God to Joshua, it's probably this verse. But you know what's funny? This isn't the first time God spoke this to Joshua. It's not the second time. It's not the third time. It's not the fourth time. This is the seventh of eight times God says the same thing to Joshua, to this battle-hardened general who's seen God, who you'd think is, if anyone's fearless, it's Joshua. It's the recurring theme from God to Joshua is refuse fear, embrace courage and faithfulness again and again and again. Uh, Deuteronomy 31, the texts are on your study sheet, though I don't think any of the, the, uh, the references are there, but not the text. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses's Sort of last gasps are occurring here in those last chapters of Deuteronomy. He's about to die. But he, he calls all Israel to himself, and Joshua's there with them. So he speaks to the nation, and this is what he says. I'm 120 years old. My life's about to end. You guys are going into the land. I'm not. And he says in that context, be strong and courageous. Don't fear. Don't be in dread of them, the people of the land. It is the Lord. It's Yahweh your God who goes with you. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. So he says it to the nation. Joshua is right there. He says it to Joshua. In verse 7 of Deuteronomy 31, Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all the people, So be like Moses says, Joshua, come up front. I want everybody to see you. I want everybody to hear what I'm saying to you. And he says to Joshua specifically, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give them. You shall put them in possession. It's the Lord who goes before you. He'll be with you. He won't leave or forsake you. Don't fear or be dismayed. Later in that same chapter, verse 23, and the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and I wonder what the Lord said. Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. For good measure, Joshua 1 again, verses 1 through 7, the Lord says to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, Moses, my servant, is dead. Get up. Go over the Jordan. No man will stand against you. Be strong and courageous. You shall cause the people to inherit the land. Only be strong and very courageous. One more time. We're not done. Uh, The people exhort Joshua to do the same thing. So the people are saying to Joshua, man, we're with you. Uh, We were obeying Moses. We're going to obey you. Anybody gives you a problem, we'll take care of them. And they say to Joshua, only... Be strong and courageous. So, by God directly and indirectly, by Moses, by the people, Joshua is commanded and exhorted eight times the same thing. Reject fear, embrace courage, be strong and courageous. Eight times. Joshua turns around in Joshua 10. Kind of a strange time to say it to the nation then also. This is Joshua 10.25. Uh, the, the Gibeonites had tricked the Jews, they made a covenant with them, and then they're attacked by these other nation states. They've come up to get the Gibeonites because they've sort of betrayed the Canaanite cause. So the Canaanites ask for help, and Joshua and the army, they go up and they defeat five kings and their armies. And it's in that setting that Joshua says to the people, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. They've just fought a battle. They've won again. And Joshua says the same thing to them that he's been hearing over and over again. Be strong and courageous. Joshua and the people needed to hear the same thing, and they heard it over and over and over again. Reject fear. Guys, fear leads to faithlessness inevitably. Inevitably. If we're fearful of someone more than God, we will not be faithful courage enables us to be faithful. And that's why God valued it so highly, and that's why we should value it so highly as well. And I ask too, before we go on, I love the fact that you see this this exhortation going in more than one direction. So the people who depend on Joshua to lead, they say to him, be strong and courageous. And he turns around and he says to them, Be strong and courageous. And I just ask you, do you guys have people in your lives that know you well enough? They know what's going on. They know your temptations. They know the challenges you face so that they can encourage you. They can exhort you and vice versa. You can give encouragement. You can receive encouragement because you have relationships in which there's the knowledge of your life. So we're talking home groups, men's groups, accountability groups. You can call it whatever you want. But there are no Lone Ranger Christians, and you and I, you'll find, if you haven't already, that you will need people to pray for you and to encourage you at some point in life. And you don't want to be looking for them when that time arrives. You want them there. You want somebody to you, you can say, guys, I'm, I don't know what to do, or I'm afraid to do the right thing. You want someone there to encourage you. Uh it's a fair question to ask if Joshua starts so well, if he's already courageous, why does God need to tell this guy repeatedly to reject fear and to embrace courage? What, what's going on for Joshua? What does God know that Joshua faces that he needs to hear this at this point in his life? I'm going to suggest three things. I think these are the obvious things in the text. You might pick up some others as well, but these three at least apply the first is this, any you and I face a major transition in life, you will find something to tempt you to be fearful about. You're in a transition of life. A something that was normal is over, something new you don't know, you're not comfortable with is dawning, and you're trying to figure out what does this look like going forward. Transitions in life. Joshua's in a huge one, but you and I will face, remember, they're, not, they're never exactly the same, Right? It's going to look different, but, but they'll, they'll share some of the same common denominators. So Joshua's got a new role. He was comfortable in Moses' right-hand man role. He knew how to do that. Forty years' worth, he knew how to do that. But now he moves from second fiddle to the main guy. Can you imagine what that would have been like for him? How do you fill Moses' shoes? Who's going to replace God's man Moses? Moses. The lawgiver you know the guy from sinai the guy of the miracles he's i'm sure he's thinking i can't who's going to follow him and you know it's going to be me and how do i live up to his reputation what does that look like for me going forward so I, i've got to change roles and i'm not sure i can do that there's a transition that way old roles gone new roles ahead but also and i think this tends to get overlooked. Joshua would have been mentored by Moses. And he would have had a friendship with Moses. Moses is about 40 years older than Joshua. That would have been his mentor and his friend, probably his confidant. They've spent all these decades together. He's not only taking Moses' place, but he's lost the support of his mentor and his friend Moses as well. So he is in this huge transition of life and God knows it and knows what the temptation is to tell him, you got to reject fear. you got to embrace courage. you got to be confident in me that I'll do what I said. And guys, you and I, we, you will inevitably find if you move to a new city, if you lose a spouse or a friend, if you take on a new job, you go to a new school, your life changes one way or another and you're in some kind of transition, there's going to be a temptation to fear. And in those situations, God says, reject fear, embrace courage. Courage enables us to remain faithful. Transition is a huge one, I think, for Joshua. Another one is this. Joshua knows what they're getting into. He's one of the spies. He's been through the land of promise from the south to the north, back and forth, all the way back down. Now, in the numbers account, he says, no worries, we can take these guys. But he also knows the breadth and the depth of the challenge that lays ahead. And guys, at the end of Joshua, he's been at this about 31 years till the day of his death, taking the land. Just the breadth and the depth of the work ahead, I'm sure, was daunting. So he knows there's walled cities, he knows there's armies and there's city states, and he knows there's giants. And on one hand, he says, there's no problem, guys, there are bread, there are Wheaties for breakfast, we'll do this. But on the other, as he's actually looking at the work ahead, I'm sure it's like, this is the rest of my life. You know, when we think of the Jews getting the land of promise, or if you consider the Babylonian captives coming back to the land of promise, on one hand, there's this sense of elation. We're going back to the land, or we're going into the land. But if you were one of those groups, Guys, it was toil. If you were one of the the generation that went into the land of promise, you were in one battle after another for decades. And Joshua knew that. It's not that we can't win. It's what's the cost of winning. How long does it take? How much of my life will this consume? I think the external challenge he faced, he was well aware of, and I think it was daunting in a way that God says, don't look at that, don't be afraid, stay focused, remain strong, remain encouraged. Because there was so much going on on the external temptations to fear or frustration, to doubt. He also knew this, God said to Moses repeatedly, and it's recorded primarily in Deuteronomy, one reference is on your sheet, God told the nation this, and Joshua knew God had said this. God says you're going to prove faithless. And you're going to embrace foreign gods. And at some point, I'm going to to remove myself from you. Now, can you imagine if God tells you you're going to sin and I'm going to leave you to it? Uh, That would be sort of the worst threat you could face. You remember when God told Moses, hey, you take them in, I'm not going with them. And Moses says, God, if you don't go, I'm not going if you don't lead, I'm I'm not going. I'm not even thinking about it. Joshua knows that God has said Israel, his covenant people, will prove faithless. And when they do, at some point, God says, I'm going to withdraw my presence. And Joshua doesn't know when this is going to happen. This is prophetic. He doesn't know when it's going to happen. Will it happen on his watch? What will that look like? Will Will that be the thing that enters through his time of ruling over Israel? Well, his generation proved faithless again. So he's got an internal concern about the very people he's leading. So transitions, external threats, internal concerns, you name it, he had a lot going on. On your study sheet, just by way of application, if you've got issues now, think about those. My challenges to courage from without might be what? things that that aren't part of me, not part of my my internal constitution, but things from without, uh, the things that tend to come to my mind are financial challenges, relationship challenges, health challenges, things from without that I don't control. You can have internal challenges. And guys, to, to me, the biggest one on the internal is simply our own sin. It's courage to face up to our own sin. It's courage to make decisions by which we put sin behind you know shakespeare wrote that our conscience makes cowards of us all i think that's profound simply the knowledge of our own sins we can cower we can hide fear of exposure fear of rejection you name it but all of us have areas in our life which we're tempted to sin that's probably the biggest threat any of us will face on the internal It's, Lord, what does that look like? And how do I display faithfulness through courage in those areas that I'd rather not think about, rather not face up to? God gives uh, Joshua two primary reasons by which he should be strong and courageous. And the first is the promise of his presence with Joshua. The first is the promise of his presence. And the second is the sufficiency of his word. Both of these, of course, we have today as well. Deuteronomy 31, where Moses had said, be strong and courageous, don't fear, don't be in dread of the people. He says, for it's the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. You know, if you quote a passage to me with that phrase or those words, I assume you're quoting Matthew 28. But it's Deuteronomy. Jesus' words to disciples were not the first place God spoke these words. They were spoken here in Deuteronomy to the Jews and to Joshua. You can be strong because I won't leave you and I won't forsake you. Verse 8, it's the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 23, be strong and courageous. Why? Because I will be with you. God's not telling people to be strong because we're sufficient. He's telling us to be strong because we're not sufficient, but He is. And the promise here for us, for Christians today, especially the life of Christ within us, but the promise of God by His Spirit to us today that He is always with us, that's the promise Joshua had. That's why he could stand up and be strong and courageous. You see the same thing in Joshua 1.5. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Verse 9, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the last, Joshua 3, 7, I'm going to begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel. This is as they're going to cross the Jordan River. God's going to do a miracle there. So the people will get it. God's with Joshua, just like He was with Moses. He says, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. So this is significant. Joshua could look back. And he could say the God of the Exodus, the God who performed those ten mighty signs over Egypt, the God who defeated the strongest power on earth, Pharaoh and Egypt, the God who swallowed the strongest army on earth, the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. That God, the true God, the only God, is our God and he's with us. So he says, so you can afford to be strong and courageous because that's the God who's with you. And we would say today, right, the God of the resurrection, the Lord of the church, Jesus has given us that same promise. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I love the passage somewhere, maybe it was in the opening lyrics. Uh, Romans 8 is great, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, what does it matter who is against you? Or how many are against you? Or in what ways they're against you? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the thought for Joshua and Israel. I'm with you. You've got me. I'm behind you. I've got your back. That's what God says to Joshua in Israel. You can be strong because your strength is ultimately dependency on me. You're trusting me to be there for you in ways you can't respond to adequately. They had the promise of God's presence. There's a great verse in Isaiah 41 where God says to Israel, he, he calls Jacob, you worm Jacob. And the thought is, don't fear men whose life is in their breath. You know, in the Scriptures, and, in fact, in ancient cultures, the thought was, your breath is your life, right? If, a, if you hold a person's breath for four or five minutes, they're gone. You know, uh, how susceptible are you and I to death? Well, any of us could be four minutes away. That's the thought. Why would you fear men who can't guarantee their own life instead of me. And the thought in Isaiah is it's an insult to God to fear men instead of Him. If God has our back, Romans 8, why would we be afraid of any mere mortal who rise up like the grass and die the same day? God said to Joshua and to Israel, they had His presence. He also said this, They had God's Word. Now remember, this time the words of God would be the first five books of the Bible. Which is interesting to me. You know, for a lot of people, if you say, do you read the Old Testament? Not much. If I read the Bible at all, I'm using the New Testament. And I sort of get that. But when you hear David praising God's Word, he's praising the first five books of the Bible. Your law, the Torah, God's Word. That's what Joshua had says this in Deuteronomy 32, verses 46 and 47. Moses says to Israel, of course Joshua hears all this, take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today, and this was a huge warning passage, that you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. And verse 47 is the payoff. It's no empty word for you. God says to Joshua and the nation, you can't afford to disregard what I'm saying to you. These aren't empty words. These aren't empty threats. These aren't empty promises. He says, no, your very life, these words I'm giving you in the law are your very life. By this word, you shall live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. God's word, he says, is your life. You can't afford to ignore it. You can't afford to be ignorant of it. And then Joshua 1, verses 7 and 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. The Meditation was the thought of turning it over. Chewing the cud like a cow. I'm chewing it over. I'm thinking about it. Different frame of reference. Different application. What does that look like for me? Meditate. It's in your mouth. You'll meditate on it. You'll be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Then you'll make your way prosperous. You'll have good success. Guys, when you think of the mandate God put on the Old Testament saints regarding His Word, Joshua meditates and speaks God's Word. In Deuteronomy, kings were told that they were to personally write out the law of God, the first five books of the Bible. The nation was commanded to have this; these first five books read every seventh year. And fathers, of course, were meant to relay the teachings, the precepts of this law to their children. They had God's promise that he'd never leave them. They had the sufficiency of God's word. And it was on that basis that God said, be strong and courageous. Your courage isn't in yourself. It's in the promise of my presence. It's in the sufficiency of my word. And those are the same things that you and I have today. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. We're not going to go through the book of Joshua this morning, obviously, but I do want to point out some highlights. Uh, Joshua did Lead Israel across the Jordan. God made the water stop. They went across on dry ground, just like Moses at the Red Sea. The nation gets it. God's still with us. He's still doing the same things. Moses is gone, but he's working through Joshua now. They conquer Jericho. They take the other walled cities. They defeat the giants and the armies. And for 31 years or so, this goes on so that the tribes of Israel are each residing. They're not necessarily occupying all of their territory, but they're residing in the territory that God allotted to each one. That's under Joshua's rule. And at the end of his life, probably the other, uh, perhaps, as famous as Joshua 9, is the closing verses out of Joshua 24, 14, and 15. At the end of his life, Joshua says, I'm 110, my life's about over, I'm telling you guys and your generation, and of course every person and every generation has to do the same thing. He says, you decide today who you'll serve. You make up your own mind about who you think is adequate as your God. You decide who you'll serve. But he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's seen all the threats, all the temptations, and he concludes his life saying, I'm banking on God and no other. And he encourages them to do the same. You can trust God. You can take him at his word. He'll be with you. His word is sufficient. I've done it. He exhorts others to do it as well. And that's why, uh, Joshua, if you, if you put this forward to your day and mine, uh, when Jesus commissions those, those 12 apostles, you know, post-resurrection up on the mountain, he gives them this crazy command. And remember, these are Jews who understand life's all about the land of promise. And Jesus tells them, you're not going to huddle up in Israel. You're going to go out into all the world. This was an entirely new command. You're not going to stay in the land of promise. You're going to leave the land of promise and you're going to make disciples in all the nations. You're going to baptize them in my name. You're, to, you're going to do the same thing Joshua and Moses did. You're going to tell them to obey my word and all that is predicated on the promise that follows and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. The requirement, the command is predicated on the promise that Jesus would be with them. That his presence would be enough for them to fulfill the Great Commission. He had the promise of His presence. And of course, we've got the promise of the sufficiency, all of the Bible, all of His Word to us today. 2 Peter 1 says, uh, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And godliness is Christ-like formation. And that's primarily today the same thing that it was then. It's the Spirit of God revealing himself through the Word of God, showing us our deficiencies and Christ's sufficiency. And that's what our courage is based on in whatever it is God has for us to do. You and I can face all the same temptations, various kinds, different stages of life. It'll vary a bit. We can face the temptations to fear with confidence because we have the promise of God's presence in His Word. I want to wind down on this uh, 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 short short portion of Joshua's story. Uh, in, in Joshua 5, the text says that Joshua's contemplating uh, the city there of the plains, Jericho. They've just crossed the Jordan. They're camped at Gilgal, and the first obstacle in their path is Jericho. Uh, you know, this is a story for us, but this wasn't a story for Joshua. Uh, Jericho was built on a tell or a mound, and it's built on a plain. You could have seen this thing for a long, long way. And the spies have been into Jericho, so Joshua knows what the city is like. And Jericho doesn't have one wall. It has two walls. It has one outer wall that's big and tall. Then it has this slope. Then it has an inner tall wall, and that's where most of the folks are living, on the inner high area. They've got to defeat two walls and a long ramp, and they'll be open to, to spears and arrows the whole time. So And Joshua's looking at the city, thinking about this. What are we going to do? And as he is, this guy shows up that he doesn't recognize. And the guy's got a sword drawn. And so Joshua goes up to him and he says, uh, are you on our army or theirs? You know, I don't recognize you. you got a sword. Whose side are you on? You know, and the guy says, well, neither. I'm not part of your army. I'm not part of their army. He says, in fact, I'm the commander of the army of God, the army of hosts. And then he tells Joshua, take off your sandals because the ground you're standing on, it's holy. Isn't that interesting? And then as chapter 6 opens, it says, Yahweh said, that man is no mere man. It's Yahweh. It's God. It's the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity. The Lord Jesus Christ shows up and tells Joshua, I'm the guy that's really in charge. You're doing a good job, but I'm the one that's really in charge. And think of this for just a moment. Moses is introduced to God. How? How does God show up? It's a flame, it's a fire in a bush. And that fiery presence is what's key to God's presentation of himself through the life of Moses. He's holy, he's purifying, right? They come into covenant in the law. It's all about holiness, and God's in a pillar of fire, and God comes down on Sinai in fire and thunder. To Moses, God shows himself as the God of fire. But when he personally introduces himself to Joshua, it's as the commander of God's army. I find that significant. He's showing Joshua himself in the way Joshua needs to know him. Joshua, he gets it. I'm not the bottom line here. And guys, your your warfare and mine, our challenges, they're never primarily merely physical. They're always spiritual. And those walls of Jericho, you know, did the Jews knock them down? Was it, Jer- was it Joshua's great battle plan that somehow got them in? And, you know, not at all. Jesus shows up, God shows up and says, I'm the guy. You're sort of my sub guy, but I'm the guy. And those walls will fall because I'll bring them down. And this would be the point to me. What's the fear? What's the challenge? What's the temptation to despair, depression, faithlessness that we face today or that we'll face this week or next month or next year? What is that? And then just just say this in your prayer, Jesus, would you be my whatever? Would you be my courage for this thing? Would you show up in the way I know I need you? I've got something that's bigger than me. It's out of my control. I can't control this. I can't do this, but you can. You can. Would you you speak to me from your word? Would you show me something of yourself that speaks to this challenge I face today? God was very, very personal with Joshua. And of course, that was just the beginning of the conquest of the land of promise. Jesus in us is courage. The Holy Spirit, God himself, the third person of the Trinity is with us, never leaves us. And we have the sufficiency of God's word. We've got everything we need to succeed in faithfulness godliness. If you would, so this is when we stand. We're going to read together. This is from Psalm 27, the first and the last couple of verses. And and it's a great psalm, of course. hate to cut any of it out, but for time's sake, let's read this together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord.